Welcome to Refugee Radio. much for inviting me for this uh, informal chat. My name is Shahire and I am a writer. I'm actually a multidisciplinary artist, but most of my work is focused around writing. I also do photography and uh, I've had a go with filmmaking as well. But I consider myself more of a writer than anything else. Welcome to the program, Shahira. And with you on the line, we also have a longtime friend of Refugee Radio, Farah. Farah, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. I'm very pleased to see you all. Yes, thank you. Shahira, your main website is jarofwords.com. And you said that you have some flash fiction that you've written for this website as well as some of your other work. Now, can you tell us what is flash fiction for those that don't know? Okay, okay right. Most people might be used to uh, words like uh, short stories. Uh, so it's, it's the same thing, but uh, flash fictions, I suppose, is smaller. And also it doesn't reveal too much. So proper flash fictions are things like, you know, if you enter to a dark room and you turn the light on, sometimes, uh, you know, with, with those uh, long um, cylindrical lights that we used to have, you know, there would be flashes before they actually turn on completely. And it's like that. When you're describing a scene, describing a story, it's uh, a moment. Imagine that light is on. So you see things and you read things, but then it's not the full picture. So you see there is a coffee table there, but there's not enough time for you to see exactly what's on the coffee table. But being me, I tend to almost always deviate from the whole format of the writing. I think I am uh, more true to the story and what I want to say than to the form that is supposed to appear as. So you can think of it as short story or flash fiction or neither of those, uh, you know, just a piece of writing. And do you limit yourself to 100 words when you do flash fiction? I use that sometimes as a good exercise when I want to uh, work on my writing muscle, if you like, and um, when I want to say things in small word. But the experience has told me that the best thing is not to limit myself and let pen run freely. I kind of um, also have written a few things, commissioned to write a few things that I don't think they have come out as well as I wanted to. So I've learned to let go. So when I'm writing, I don't particularly follow a word limit, don't particularly follow a style of writing. Um, I just try to enjoy the writing that I do at that moment. And it always comes best when it's kind of like wild rather than teamed in a, in a particular way. 
And the piece that you're going to read for us, is this something that you wrote in English the first time, or is it something that you wrote in Persian and then translated into English? That's a very good question, because this is something that I'm uh, struggling with myself to, to come to a decision when I work. I think um, there, there are pieces that I write in one language and then translate it, but uh, nine out of 10 times, I'm not happy with direct translation. So uh, what I tend to do is to get the idea what I want to say and what I've said in a particular language and rewrite that. I think it fits better. This piece, I think I um, wrote it uh, as Persian first, but then I uh, rewrote it, if that makes sense, in English. Uh, it's not um, flash fiction. It's, I think, about four par paragraphs, this one, so a bit longer. And um, if you've got time, it might take about five, six minutes to, to read. Yes, well, whenever you're ready. Right. It's called No Gain Pain. The rain pounded on the glass, insisting on finding a way in. Pushing my finger on the cold surface of the glass, I traced the path that it was making on the window. The squeak took me back to my physics lesson. Mr. Parkdale had a scientific theory for describing each and every event. The friction pulls the skin out of shape. Sliding the finger on the glass causes the skin to spring back to its original shape. The squeak is the audible sound wave created due to these distortions. I wonder how Mr. Parkdale would have described the migration phenomenon. The crisis is a reaction equal and opposite to the action of powerful countries' greed. The distortion of wealth from the countries with most of the underground resources to the civilized countries, causing people to move towards something that might resemble life. Dear a small drop of rain, how scared or in how much of pain are you that even my dark and damp apartment could be a refuge? If I were you and traveling with the clouds were my other option, I would have never landed down here. Were you like me running out of options? Keeping an eye on the clock, I hurriedly drank my second cup of tea made with the previous, previously used tea bag. The clock, the clock hand showing seconds was dashing around whilst the other hand remained still. The first amount of money that I have, I will buy myself a digital clock. I don't like to constantly be reminded of the unjust division between hands which indicate seconds or hours. Insignificant versus important. One runs around like crazy to make sure that the other one remains motionless for as long as possible and only shifts slightly when it had to. Still, the time is announced by hours. The seconds remained unnoticed. Throwing my back over my left shoulder, I put on my mask and hurried out. Breathing rapidly, inhaling the inner layer of my mask with a waft of cinnamon, I tried to ignore his angry tone of voice. What do you want from us? You lot are everywhere. 
This was not what I expected in response to my initiating question of how may I help you? My manager came out telling the man not to insult the staff and in an attempt to calm the situation, she also asked me to go to the staff room. I went, wishing I had never come here. But how could I have stayed? Where would I have stayed? Life seems to happen in the suffocating space between living in fear for my life or looking for a safe place to accept me. I have lost all I had and even gambled my life in order to gain access to a safe place that now I believe safety is a myth. It does not exist. Looking in the mirror as I was washing my hands, I noticed two deep lines on my forehead. The little space between my hairline and mask was like a plowed piece of land, ready for accepting new seeds and new growth. But at least for now, this forehead can only give rise to distorted thoughts and nightmares. Maybe one day. Okay, and that was it. Can you tell us about your, your first book? The first book that I published was in Persian, and it was uh, very important for me to, to write my first book in Persian. I wrote it, obviously, when uh, I was living in the UK, and I, I came into the UK many years ago, about three decades ago. And at that time, you know, you're learning a new language, learning new culture, and uh, you're studying for your course. So I was away from Persian literature. I was focusing on my studies. I was trying to, to learn English. And um, I've been away from Persian language for quite a while. And at that time, things were different. I mean, nowadays we got internet, we got, um, you know, you got access uh, no matter where you are to uh, TVs that are done in any particular language. Uh, those days, these things were not available. Uh, but I wanted to, to start my writing, my first writing in Persian for two reasons. Uh, first of all, it was my native language and it was easier to, to describe things, to, to write the way that I wanted to write. Uh, and the re second reason was that I wanted to put something back to um, a whole ocean of, um, you know, literature and materials that helped building my um, love for literature, basically. So I wrote that in Persian. So the first book was published in Iran. It's called Bazgash, means, which means homecoming. And it's a short story. Well, it's not a short story. It's a novelette about a person who's gone back to um, her country of origin. And it's about Iran through the eyes of this um, person who's been away from Iran for a while. Uh, the second book, which means devoters and um, drifters, if there, are, <laughs> if there is a word, but um, 
that's also referring to relationship, how we connected to one another and also disconnected under times that we are supposed to be with family members, people that we are close, that we might not have too much in common. And sometimes we see strangers that we have not much in common, but, uh, you know, things click and you could uh, relate to one another. So these two are the major books that I've done in Persian. I've done a collection of short stories and flash fictions in um, different um, anthology books uh, in English. And I'm currently uh, writing my debut novel in English, and I am in the stage of looking for a publisher. So it's a very strange um, space to be in because you have done the work and it's all about promoting the work, which needs a totally different set of <laughs> skills. So I'm, I'm learning as I go along. I think many writers feel that they're 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 good at the writing bit, but the selling it part is is feels like a a, a job for somebody else. Um, I I I'm sharing the same view, and uh, although it's almost impossible to stay away from this uh, sort of promoting yourself side these days with social media, you're expected to be. Every single of the day, you should be reporting what you're doing, how you're feeling, what you're writing. But all these is, I feel, is taking you away from what you want to be doing and what is your main job, which is, uh, you know, writing the piece that you want to write. But without uh, promoting yourself um, as an author, I'm afraid... uh, not much can be done in terms of uh, your work because when you write something uh, you obviously want that piece to be uh, read by others and uh, if you're not ready to be in the game you you miss out on opportunities I'm afraid so um, I'm kind of reluctantly (laughs) I tend to write as much as I can um, on uh, my website on um, you know Instagram and things like that but uh, it's not by choice let's put it this way yes I think it's just the fate of the the modern writer I can't remember who it was if it was Virginia Woolf perhaps or somebody less auspicious who said that the you know the best writers are the ones that the the wallflowers they're standing at the back of the party and they're not the center of attention but they're just watching what everybody's doing and making a note of it for for later writing purposes but I think this is um, uh, the antithesis of what's required now you have to be promoting and selling it uh, so much um, yourself but of course that's the the way it is now um you mentioned the influences on your writing and the desire to be to add your book to the you know the great uh, uh, pantheon of 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 persian literature that's come before you and i know you've done some work uh, on the uh, a writer called uh, shanama uh, yeah uh, is um the writer called uh, ferdosi and shanama is uh, his book is uh, translated in english as um, the book of kings or the epic of kings and i think there are other translations as well but they're not as famous um, Ferdowsi is a poet who lived over a thousand years ago in Iran and um, the poetry that he wrote is astonishing because uh, it's so fresh when you uh, read it, it certainly doesn't look like or feel like 
um, a century old piece of writing is very much like it was written yesterday for us today. Uh, it's full of uh, human related issues that um, we are still struggling as all of us, as human, we are trying to, to be better at, you know, um, respecting one another and helping each other and trying to not to judge each other. Um, we're still struggling. So these are the values that uh, you, you see is referred to in that book. Um, it's um, kind of uh, sad that we think we still got, we have come a long way, but we still got a longer way to go, if that makes sense. So we haven't achieved what we want to achieve in terms of unifying all humans, in terms of respecting one of one another and uh, be able to live with one another and support one another. So um, uh, in that way, is a fresh piece of uh, writing although it's written over a thousand years ago. And the good thing about it is um, it's, it's a big, big book. Uh, it's over 50,000 rhyming couplets, but we are lucky enough to have a few friends around us. And uh, we are all interested in reading this poetry. It's a book of poem. All the stories are written as stanzas, as um, rhyming couplets. Um, and uh, it's, it's beautiful to read and um, when you get together uh, and you read in the group and you add your own interpretation to uh, what is said in the group, I think it adds something um, to the value of, of, of the book basically. And I'm really glad to have the experience of um, reading this book in, in the group with others. Is it is it a kind of history of Iran? Is that right, or or it's a philosophical uh, history of Iran? It it contains many stories. Um, starts from um, creation of the earth, and it goes all the way to creation of plants, animals, uh, and then different kingdoms in Iran. And it stops um, at around 7th century when Iran was captured by the Arab Empire. And at the time, um, all these stories that Ferdowsi used in his poetry were written. So he didn't invent the stories. The stories were from olden time um, in languages that they were dying off. So what Ferdowsi did uh, was collecting all these written pieces and also some verbal stories and turned into this um, book of poetry. So in many ways, because it contains um, the past history of Iran, it's very, um, it's a book that is a story, it's full of myth. Uh, there are some historical figures there that are um, mixed with uh, myth. So it's what's the word, interwoven kind of thing. So you don't see real characters, but real names appearing. And, um, you know, you could see the, those names in history. So it's a lot of Iranian think of it as almost like history, but although it's not a history book, if that makes sense. So it's, it's a mix of Mm, historical events, but very much flavored with mythical 
um, ideas and ideology and it's, it's difficult, but um, it's, it's different from historical books, but um, it, um, it has also got, as well as the stories, uh, about 47 stories uh, or maybe more depending on how you classify different stories because there are many stories in the stories so you might see them <laughs> separate or you might see them as one uh, uh, at the end of uh, quite a lot of the stories Sh uh, Ferdowsi appears as a person and gives advice a uh, kind of like emphasizes the moral of the story and um, suggest how he's supposed to behave. So it can be a cross between history and um, philosophical um, poetry book. So it's got a little bit of everything. <laughs> it sounds a little bit like the, the Mabinogian. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a, a Welsh or, or British um, work. I think it's uh, 12th century or thereabouts, but it's the same sort of mixture of history and fantasy and um yeah but it's it not i think it's a, a work of multiple authors rather than this which is very interesting because it's uh the book of kings is the work of one person so you get their voice and they it sounds like they've even written themselves into it which is uh which is very interesting uh, uh farah did you have any questions you wanted to ask shahira about the book of kings thank you uh, of course uh i was very pleased she described what that really I'm fond of uh, that book as well. And before I came to England, of course, I studied a lot and I still carry on. And I was lucky last night, one of the part of them with Shahira John together and describe about that book and also different poets. And the book highly uh, gave me the first one present to me. I'm very appreciative. Shahira John, you are wonderful, wonderful. And last night I was more proud of you because everybody read it and enjoyed the part of that uh, poem. And the other one are beautiful. Well done. Thank you, Farah. Thanks for your kind words. It's, uh, Not at all. it's an honor for me to have met you. And uh, you. Uh, it is fantastic that people like yourself and Steve and um, your group as a whole uh, care about refugees basically and talk about them and give refugees um, room to talk, to, to bring their stories, but still living in a new land basically, trying to learn a new language and starting from zero basically is is not easy so you can imagine once we are talking about refugees where they have to leave absolutely everything and everyone behind and take risks to try to seek safety and it's it's nice to have welcoming uh, groups like your group like yourselves to to feel as if you know you can rebuild life and that's what's all about you have to uh, start from zero often and uh, uh, but we as humans are resilient aren't we? we given us a chance we can regrow again we can yeah, I believe you yes I am the same your boat 
I'm not refugee, but still, you know, lost everything from my country. And I came here, established everything. But Steve and yourself give me confidence. Wonderful. Thank you. Farah, <laughs> uh, you've told me about Persian poetry and what's special about uh, Farsi as a language to to express poetic ideas. And, and I wonder if we could talk a little bit about Tahira. Yes, uh, Tahira, I'm sure uh, my dear uh, Shahira didn't hear about the Tahira. Tahira, about uh, many years ago, she was Babi. But before seeing the Babiism, he had a, a you know, dream. And uh, in the, her dream, uh, right out of the part of her dream. And when Bob declared as Bob, he seen it, the book of Bob, exactly the same her dream. And uh, he sacrificed, she sacrificed her life for humanity because wants to equality between men and women, the part of Bobism and Baha'i. But at the moment, uh, Tahere all over the world is very famous. Even in America recently, uh, a lot of students study about her life. But I'm afraid in my country is not the same. And uh, she's really one of the ladies. Those days, Iran was very fanatic. She was high education and done a lot of work. I'm sure you hear about that. And one of the, the other radio, uh, always read uh, that poem. And it's very important, that poem of her. Yes. And I think you could describe her as a feminist. I think that's, I mean, not a word she would have used, I guess, back in the, in, at the time, early 1800s. But I think that's a fair term to use to describe her, would you say? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I don't know my dear friend, she hear about Tahere or not, because in Iran is not a lot of people, they knew Tahere. Yeah. Shahide John, you hear about Tahere before? Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've seen a few of uh, her poetry, her poems. Um, yeah, don't know much about her, but uh, uh, I've seen uh, some of her poems and I don't know whether it was very powerful poem, all of them, yeah. yeah. And we're talking about a translation. I mean, you know, what is it about uh, Farsi or Persian, if you will, what is it about the language that makes it so special for poetry? The poetry is very important because many years ago, 150 years ago, in Iran, uh, so many ladies not studying and she was full of knowledge and written those poems. And uh, one of the reasons perhaps in the world is interest about that. And she sacrificed her life for humanity because only even the Shah Nasreddin Shah those days wants to get married with her and she refused. And they mentioned if you change your religion, uh, became a Muslim, definitely your life is back to you and everything right. But she sacrificed her life for, you know, humanity and Babism and Baha'u'llah, yeah. Just I think that it's worth talking about other uh, Iranian 
literature because I think perhaps it's not as familiar in with to people in the UK as it uh, as it could be. But uh, getting back to Shahir and your work, then can I ask you about your uh, recent uh, uh, performance you gave uh, entitled "I Am an Orange Dot"? Um, this is from this year, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I think last Monday. Yeah, the, the yes. Uh, uh, where are we? We are on. It's it very... was library. I was there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, I think this week is still the refugee week, and on Monday I um, uh, had a performance. Um, it was a monologue that I've written. I am an orange dot which refers to the bird's eyes view of um, um, someone floating um, in an orange life vest in the middle of the ocean. Um, we know that sadly a lot of uh, refugees take that route. Uh, you know, they have to, they have no other choice. And uh, coming through uh, using oceans, perhaps is, is one option open to them. And it's very risky. And every time that I hear in the news that, you know, uh, people lost their life that way. And um, the first question in my mind is that, what must have they gone through to think that coming, um, you know, using ocean as a way out does that make sense? I don't know. So uh, that's um, what the performance is about. And is a monologue. Is this person uh, who's uh, left stranded in the middle of the ocean is talking about um, what happened, why that person is there, which I think um, is not just one reason. The whole collection of uh, other things, everything that we do, as an individual, as a company, as a nation, as a country, um, does have an effect. And for many years, um, we have lived in isolation in a way. So a lot of people have done things that uh, they perhaps haven't seen the outcome of their action. But these days, uh, the whole world is, is seems to be shrinking in terms of um, communication and we are able to see what happens in a different part of world and we could we could actually see um, sometimes is uh, the outcome of certain way of thinking or um, certain behaviors is uh, manifested in a, a violent way somewhere else and uh, we could we could see that so I, I think it's very important to be aware of everything that we do these days we try to be very um politically correct i think is the word that sometimes used i'm not sure whether that's the word that i want or not but be aware of uh, everything that we do not um you know as an individual because we do have a power to change things not everything can be changed from outside and from the top sometimes the change must come from the bottom up if if you like and um, it is important um, each one of us um, have a duty 
to ourselves, to our family, to our children. We need to, uh, you know, educate them with what's going on and what is the best way of dealing. And I think the best advice is to look at others um, as if they are extension of you. Don't do anything to them that you don't like be done to yourself in a way. And we say it in Persian. And I think that would solve quite a lot of problems if we uh, take on that sort of attitude. But we still got a long way to go. But the good thing is that we are going in the right direction. <laughs> and did you have an, a, a character in mind uh, when you devised that piece of who it was that was in the, the, the life vest? I, uh, I tried to make it as anonymous as possible because to me, uh, people who are in uh, trouble uh, are not a particular race, are not a particular gender, or uh, are not people from one particular country. Everywhere we see uh, traces of uh, human kind of destroying life, basically, destroying planets. Um, and um, soon uh, we all are going to be even more involved in this destruction that we are now, unless we, we change our ways. And basically it was something that I hoped that anyone could relate to. So it's not something um, really far off, if you like, or uh, very individual. Uh, it's a human being that we see over there that could be, anyone and the message for that piece was that this um, you know handmade fate that politicians are making or mass producing doesn't fit and uh, we need to change it basically and this is something that you wrote and performed in English yes yes in English and um, yeah this is a monologue and I performed it, and uh, now that we talked about it, I must say thank you to staff at uh, Stock at the Stockport Central Library for their support and for giving me space to to perform. And uh, as I think I mentioned before, um, as a writer, it's quite important for the pieces that you write to be read, uh, and. Um, you know, if it's a performance piece, uh, again, it's important to be for you to be able to perform it. The more you do it, uh, the more you're keen to carry on producing more work like that. But once, um, you know, there's nowhere to share those um, ideas or those writings, uh, you see no point in carrying on. And that's when you slow down. <laughs> so I'm really grateful for opportunities like that and opportunities like this here to be able to talk about my writing uh, with you two lovely people. So thank you very much. And I enjoyed so much from your speech in the library and everybody enjoyed. And your manner and the way you and your daughter highly done for us. And in the end, all of us get together and make a photo. And kindly, you sent for me. I will never forget. Well done. Thank you. 
really proud of you. Thank you to you and everyone who attended the session, and thank you for all. For, um, thank you from all this stuff. Thank you <laughs> to you and everyone who attended, and the stuff in the library. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yes, and also from Interfaith, kindly. We are member of Interfaith, different faith, and uh, Roger head of the interfaith kindly sent email to me and I got it. And really sometimes even we don't must be talking about faith, but it's very important, you know, work together and love each other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Love humans, <laughs> love animals, love people. <laughs> exactly. Love everybody. Yeah. We need to uh relearn how to love, I think. Exactly. exactly. Can I ask about um, uh, uh, Persian idioms in Farsi? While I've got two people who are both lovers of uh, language and literature with me, um, there's a, a wonderful uh, Persian phrase which is, uh, You look so cute that mice should eat you. <laughs> what is it? I don't know how to say it. And do you know how to say it like that in Farsi? Oh my God. <laughs> You're referring to mush nahorat, your mush bokorat, you can use them both. What <laughs> but usually do for child, not for everybody. Okay. <laughs> when you're a cute baby, we seen it, we describe you are I love to eat you. Means very sweet and Beautiful, I would, but not for adults. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we, we we tend to um, uh, pride ourselves with our food, and uh, food is very important to us. And this is how we show our uh, love for others. I guess. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Shahira, did you have anything else that you wanted to read for us uh, that you'd prepared? Okay, okay. Um, uh, before before I read it, you had you said you have got two uh, phrases in Farsi that you wanted to. I remember the other one now. Oh. <laughs> while you uh, while you read that, uh, I'll, I'll try and remember what it was. Yeah. <laughs> It's great. All right. I had a list of them, but they've gone from my mind. I, I, I knew there was two I wanted to ask about. Okay. Right. Uh, this is called uh, Double Edge, and is the story in um, elevator fiction. is a collection of short stories and flash fictions by a number of authors, uh, published by Common Word. Children in their school uniforms, supervised by three adults, a strolled in the main section of the museum. Sarah, holding Donya's hand, walked in a few paces behind. Unlike Donya, the rest of the children stomped up, up, up the hall, trying to be the first to spot the dragons. Donya's apparent lack of interest lasted till they came to the main exhibit. She slowed to a halt in front of the main window, displaying a model of a silver fire-breathing dragon with wings stretching open. The dragon was in, in a motionless flight, 
with little plastic models of terrified people and farm animals glued on the green surface underneath. His mechanical mouth kept, kept opening, projecting out a rippling bright orange material resembling a jet of flame. The simultaneous soundtrack of the screens was quickly lost in the dragon's roar. Donya shouted, Atish! Her bottom lip started to judder. Sarah could feel a slight tightening of Donya's grip and decided to take her away from her ordeal. They went back to the main reception area, waiting for others. Sarah took a notebook out of her handbook and found the divider with Donya means the word written on it. She looked for the meaning of Atish in the alphabetic list of uh, phonetic words. These were common words in Donya's native language with their English translation. Sarah went over the words twice, but Atish was not listed. She tried to envisage what the exhibit must, must have looked like through Donya's eyes. Sarah kneeled down and told Donya that she was safe. As Sarah looked up, she caught a glimpse of the flat screen TV mounted on the wall. The television was left on mute. The voiceless news items displayed the, uh, the funeral of a soldier. As a mask of respect, guns were fired into the air. To the passersby, the silence of the guns fired and the tears surging up in Donya's eye remained unnoticed. The fresh smell of coffee mixed in with the smell of newly painted walls wafted through the reception area. The automatic doors kept sliding open and shut. That's it, thank you. It's, it's kind of referring to, as, as suggested by name, double-edge, that uh, you know, there are two sides that's um, gonna be affected by war. It's not just people of the country, uh, but the whole world is in it, basically. We're all uh, suffering from it and um, we need to unite in somehow in the pain that we are going through to, to make the pain go away, basically, to make it better, to make life better and easier for everyone. Yes, yeah, so it's very powerful and, and very pertinent, of course, given everything that's going on in the world at the moment. Um, and it, also, it, it reminds me of the, the second Persian idiom that uh, I wanted to uh, run past you, which is... Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's Havato Dharam. Mm -hmm. Havato Dharam. Yeah, that was. That was <laughs> can you I look after you. <laughs> but as you said, most of the most of the idioms are about food, of course, they're, or they're food related. No, no, not most of them. <laughs> Don't get me in trouble. <laughs> I'm, I'm, literally, I, I'm neither the top of the onion nor the bottom of the onion. Mm -hmm. This one. Yeah, yes. Nasara Piozam Natayp. Natayp, yeah. Well done, Steve. You've done a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, 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 I have some good uh, 
friends from Iran and, and uh, Farah, I'd like to count you in that uh, number. And Shahira, it's been great getting to meet you and, and become fr new friends with you as well. So thank you both for, for being on the program today. Thank you thank very much. Thank you. A, I'm very glad to see you and also Shahira John. Thank you, Shahira John. Well done. Want to see more of Shahira's work is www.jarofwords.com, and I'll post a link to that on the Refugee Radio website where you find this podcast as well as uh, more information on the Shanama project. Thank you. Thank you very much. Both. Okay. Lots of love. <laughs>